Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Facebook's parent company is blocking news on its two main social media platforms in Canada. That's because lawmakers approved a bill calling for Meta to compensate news organizations when their content is posted. Australia has a similar revenue sharing agreement and California is considering its own bill. Will efforts to get social media companies to pay up keep you from getting news on your social media? Will it keep native news outlets from getting their content to wider audiences? We'll find out what the stakes are right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The U.S. Attorney General experienced what Alaska Natives in remote villages experience all the time. On Tuesday, Merrick Garland got weathered out of a flight to Huslia, a tiny community on the Koyukuk River in interior Alaska. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski, who traveled with Garland, says she's not in the habit of wishing visitors to Alaska bad weather. But it was a reminder that when something happens... When there is a tragedy or a threat or something that requires public safety intervention in a community that is not accessible and weather shuts in, there is no plan B. Rain and strong winds canceled Garland's flight to Huslia, which is only accessible by air and water. Garland says challenges of Alaska weather was not something he could have fully understood without experiencing it. We had a United States Marshals plane, we had a United States Air Force plane, and still with the weather we weren't able to get there. I can't imagine what would happen in the circumstance if there was a, an emergency. Garland was able to meet with tribal leaders in Galena, another interior Alaska community. He also attended a roundtable hosted by the Alaska Federation of Natives in Anchorage, where he announced $70 million in funding for the Alaska Native Justice Center to help tribes improve public safety and justice systems. The meeting was closed to media, but Michelle Demert, a longtime tribal court judge, says there was a lot at stake for Alaska Natives who experience some of the highest rates of violence in the country. Alaska tribes have not gotten the same resources across the board when it comes to essential governmental services, and it's time for them to pony up. She called the meeting groundbreaking because Garland acknowledged Alaska tribes as democratic institutions and their importance to the nation. Some groups are recruiting Indigenous youth to work in natural resource management. Emma Vandenindy with KUNC visits a pueblo in New Mexico to see how one crew is working to protect and restore the environment. Just cut loose branches, any low-hanging branches. It's a hot, sunny morning in Jemez Pueblo. Alan Baca, a crew member from the Forest Stewards Youth Corps, is giving instructions for their project at a trailhead near a red rock formation. Yeah. The site is going to be uh, anywhere within the grounds. Don't worry about those ones out, outside the boundaries. They start cutting and sawing. Branches overflow in their pickup truck bed. But Baca makes sure they take care of every tree. Sam, if you want to head down to that tree right there. And just prune that one. Behind each branch is a lesson to these indigenous youth about giving back. It's not just for the benefit of me, it's for the benefit of the community and then our future as well, our future kids and our future governors. The Youth Corps Summer Program is for 15 to 25 year olds like Baca. Five crews across New Mexico are trained on natural resource careers, all while restoring the land. 
The Jemez Pueblo crew, which joined in 2020, is the only one on indigenous land. For a little over two months, they work on a variety of projects, like thinning forests to slow wildfires or removing invasive trees by streams. One of their projects is by Jemez Springs. On the side of a cliff is an image of a woman wearing a shawl, which is spiritually important to the Jemez people. Baca says work like this is much more than cutting down trees. We just have deep connections with our own lands as well. And taking care of your land just feels like you're just taking care of, you know, yourself as well. There are other indigenous conservation groups in the Mountain West, like Ancestral Lands Conservation Corps. Their crews work on habitat restoration projects on tribal lands in New Mexico, Arizona, and Wyoming. I'm Emma Vandenindy. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Is your tank empty? There's another gas you should be worried about. Carbon monoxide can kill in minutes, but you can stay safe by placing CO alarms in your home. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. Facebook's parent company is blocking all news content in Canada after that country passed the Online News Act. The law requires social media companies to compensate news outlets for content shared on their platforms. One result of the news blackout on social media is First Nations news outlets and residents can't access the latest news about devastating wildfires. A similar showdown is brewing in California as lawmakers ponder a revenue-sharing arrangement. Meta is threatening a block on sharing news within the state. There is debate about whether forcing payments by social media giants will help or hurt smaller community media outlets. We'll get some insights into the issue today, and as always, you can chime in. How much news do you consume through social media? If news sharing was blocked on Facebook and Instagram, like it is in Canada, how would you get your news from your community? Give us a call. Tell us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's go ahead and meet our guest today. First, speaking with us from Ottawa in Ontario, Canada, is Alex Friedman. He's the executive director of the Community Radio Fund of Canada. Hi, Alex. Thanks for joining us. All right. Also speaking with us today from Farmington, New Mexico, is Jordan bennett Begay. She's an editor of ICT and the new vice president of the Indigenous Journalists Association. She's Danae. Jordan, always a pleasure to have you on NAC. Welcome back. Hi, Yate. Thanks for having me. Yate. And joining us from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is Mike Rispoli. He's the senior director at Free Press, focusing on local news and civic information policy. Hello, Mike. Great to have you on the show. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me on. You bet. You bet. Alex, are you there? I just want to check in with you real quick. 
I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful, Alex. Great to have you, Executive Director of the Community Radio Fund of Canada. And Alex, I'd like to go ahead and begin with you today. This online news act is creating controversy, not only up in Canada, but also here in the States. What's been the impact on news shared through social media there in Canada since the law was passed earlier this summer? Well, the impact has been quite significant. Uh, The intention of of the act has always been to ensure that those outlets that produce news, yourself included and otherwise, um, you know, we invest money in the production of that news. We know through our analytic data that Facebook and Meta have, um, Meta, Instagram, Google, uh, do benefit from the fact that they share these, these articles. There's a huge amount of traffic that's a result of it. So the News Act was designed to ensure that they uh, sit down with the various players that do create news to create some compensation. Uh, and as you mentioned, they've shut down the sharing of news throughout Canada uh, on, on Facebook and on Instagram. And you know the challenge is that these outlets, these social media channels are behemoths uh, in terms of uh, you know, their ability to benefit from us, but also our station's ability to to promote their own news content through social media. And, and there very much is a two-way street here. Um, and without that, we've seen significant drops in listenership um, through live streaming and online options. Um, we've also, many of our stations, and, and when I say our stations, you know, the, the, the Community Radio Fund of Canada provides support for 235 community campus and Indigenous stations. Um, many of them are able to sell advertising also based on uh, promotion through social media. And without that, um, there's a real fear of an impact for um, those advertising revenues. And so uh, from a communication standpoint, it's been become very, very challenging. Um, and financially, it's also going to hit the bottom line uh, in stations who uh, are not rich, as as many of you know. You know, local broadcasting, um, we do we do what we do on a, on a volunteer base, um, and we do the best we can with the limited funds we have. Um, and so, this is a real challenge for us. Alex, if social media companies are to pay some sort of compensation to these media outlets, how can that work? Would they be counting posts or would it be a flat fee what's that what's the idea here this is designed not to be a a click tax as some people like to call it the the legislation is very clear um that it's not a matter of how many shares you get the 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 question is what is a fair compensation package and so it says that uh those outlets that produce news in canada uh, and that includes community campus and indigenous licensed stations should sit down with the players at Google and Meta uh, and and come up with what what is mutually a uh, a fair compensation system. And you know, to be clear, Google and Meta will have a say in what that looks like. Uh, and if there isn't agreement, the law provides for final arbitration, independent arbitration um, on, on on settlement. It's not going to be, I don't think, a huge amount of money changing hands, particularly for our stations. But it could look like, uh, you know, Google has a, a, an important uh, journalism training project, and a lot of our stations really need uh, training. And this is something they ask us for regularly: is funding to support training for their broadcasters, because, you know, like like in the United States, we really are the training ground for future broadcasters. It could include funding for uh, national conferences where people get together to share ideas. 
and we are proposing that we would have a conversation about mechanisms that would support the creation of digital content so that you know those digital broadcasters meta and google would benefit from whatever comes out of this um so that's generally what this what the deal would look like but it is very prescriptively not a per click fee all right all right now alex some people might say well wait a minute though i mean companies like facebook are now supposed to pay news outlets for content that outlets publish freely on their platforms so what's your response to someone who says, hey, the model before the Online News Act, that was a good deal for media outlets? So in Canada, the way it really works is uh, commercial broadcasters, for example, uh, because they benefit from Canadian audiences, but they don't uh, reinvest in the Canadian voice or in Canadian producers or in Canadian news outlets, pay through something called Canadian content development funding. And this is required through their licensing act. So we already have a model that says, you know, big players in this in this country that benefit from us um, should be required to compensate and support the future of Canadian voice in this country. Um, so to those people that say, you know, that, that we share it for free and why shouldn't they just benefit from it for free as well? I, I would say that we we don't share it for free. There is a huge amount of back end cost that goes into creating this. There's a huge amount of investment that we put into journalist salaries, into the cost of covering stories, into press club memberships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so there is a cost for, for our stations and the stations that we support. And so what we're saying is that, you know, this is a this ultimately is a medium upon which we broadcast. And if these major corporations are earning money off of the backs of this, that we're we're not asking for all of it. We're just asking for for a, a fair portion of it. Okay, and that fair portion, how would that money be distributed, Alex? Uh, well, that depends on the news outlet, and and one of the challenges with our legislation is there's no transparency. So some of the major newspapers in Canada, uh, Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, National Post, um, they've already struck deals, and we're not sure uh, how that would how that gets transmitted. Um, my fund, for example, the Community Radio Fund, is in a position to support a significant portion of the radio stations that we spoke of, and we would be able to administer a program that would distribute to all of these stations in a manner that is equitable um, and that would be agreed upon by uh, us, uh, the Canadian regulator, the, the, the counterpart to the FCC in Canada, which is called the CRTC, um, and of course, Google Meta would have a say uh, in how that fund, those funds would be distributed. And going back to, to the impact here on the community, uh, what's happening right now with regard to, to some of these blocks on content and perhaps on Facebook or Instagram? I mean, how are people in Canada in some of these more remote communities, how are they getting the news? Well, they can still go to the website itself of, of their local provider. And so in many of the more remote communities, they know the brand, they know who's out there. They're just not logging onto Facebook. They'll log on directly onto the, onto the, to the website. And so they can access it that way. We run a program called the Local Journalism Initiative. And we have a national website that contains the work of all of the funded journalists that we support. Um, and so people can still go there. The problem is they're just not able to access it immediately through the social media networks. And that's the big challenge. But I would also say, Sean, I, I want to point this out. 
Um, we're already seeing reports that stations in the United States are being immediately affected too. I was just reading an article on CNN that says they've contacted a number of publishers who've seen a 30 to 40% decline uh, in <clears throat> the, uh, their, the traffic coming from Facebook and Instagram. And so uh, I would say that this is something that's already happening in a big way, not just here, but globally. Uh, you know, and what's happening is news has become a commodity, and that's a really dangerous thing. We've also seen recently that X, or formerly known as Twitter, um, has also made it more and more difficult to be able to access news. Um, so, I, you know, we're experiencing it right now, but I would be surprised if many of your stations in, in the United States aren't also experiencing it immediately, too. I think that's certainly the concern uh, here down here in the States is it what will be the ripple effects and, and how will that play out? And, and obviously, as you mentioned, there already are ripple effects and uh, they're big. So, folks, we're having a, a really interesting conversation today. It has to do with this Online News Act, a law that was passed earlier this summer in Canada that requires social media companies to compensate news outlets for content shared on their platforms. Now, how that compensation takes place. Uh, some of that is still being worked out, but it's certainly interesting. And again, these ripple effects and how it's going to impact Native communities there in Canada and also down here in the States and what that means perhaps for you. If you get your news information, maybe you check on Facebook or you go to Instagram and you connect with your local news that way. This has big, big ramifications for how you get that information. So anybody with a question, if you've got a comment or you've got anything to share for our show today, our phone lines are open right now, 1-800-996-2848. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, we're going to talk with Jordan Bennett-Begay with ICT. A number of tribes say California's rules for managing water are out of date. They also complain that the state is appeasing powerful corporate interests at the expense of tribes. Now the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is looking into the complaints. We'll find out what the issues are on the next Native America Calling. Program support by the Colorado Plateau Foundation a Native-led foundation supporting Native-led initiatives protecting the lands, waters, and cultures of the Plateau for generations to come. The Colorado Plateau Foundation helps to build networks, community, and organizational capacity. The Colorado Plateau Foundation is accepting grant proposals through September 2nd. Eligibility information is available at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about how indigenous media outlets and consumers are affected by Canada's Online News Act. The law requires social media companies to pay for news content shared on their platforms. California lawmakers are considering a similar bill this year. The question I'd like to ask you is, how much news do you get from Facebook and Instagram? Tell us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE on your touchscreen keypad. I'd like to bring Jordan Bennett-Begay into our conversation now. She's an editor at ICT. And Jordan, listening to Alex earlier, I think what's really coming across is that we are now living in this really interesting era 
in which we're seeing this confluence of, of social media and news. And it just begs the question, how big a driver is social media for engaging your audience there at ICT? Well, it's a it's a big um, driver of our audience. I mean, ninety percent of our social media data comes from Facebook, and then Instagram following that, Twitter or X um, is not so much, which is why we got off of it. And I mean, if you see, I mean, and just anecdotally, when I'm visiting with um, like readers or folks, like they're always saying they heard us about us on Facebook or read our stories from Facebook because it was shared from one of their friends or family members. Um, so when we heard the news, it was very concerning. And, and actually, um, I was really curious um, to see how it would affect us when before um, our conference for the Indigenous Journalists Association happened. And it was indeed like you couldn't see our Facebook posts, our Instagram, um, Instagram stories. So it, we really are now having like a conversation internally about how we can be more creative uh, trying to engage our audience um, north of the medicine line, but that also you know, is going to cause a lot of time and a lot of resources, and resources that are already difficult to find nowadays. I mean, we don't, we're trying to build a social media team, but even trying to find funders for that is very difficult. Well, tell us more. Give us some specifics uh, in regard to how ICT uses social media to connect viewers and readers with your reporting. Yeah, a lot of it, you know, is just sharing our stories, you know, um, sharing it just through, you know, the news links we have, uh, breaking news is a huge one, you know, I mean, I'm thinking of like the Indian Child Welfare Act that um, with the Supreme Court decision, um, a lot of the um, election stories now are coming up is going to be a huge concern, at least for us, because um, elections are bread and butter, and usually that's how we find out about stories or, you know, um, candidates, and I mean, if California does go through with it, it's it's going to be really interesting on that part. Um, we're starting to do more uh, like live events, so sharing, um, you know, beer openings live or um, doing our panels live um, has also been concerning for us. Um, and at least fortunately, for from what I've seen when I was experimenting up there on what we can and cannot see, you can still see images, you can still see reels, um, some videos, but, and so it's just, but you have to be in Canada to see that. Um, and I think on that part too, we do have a special correspondent up in Canada who covers um, the you know the territory for us and the issues. But even that's um, going to be at least concerning for us. Is how are we going to share with our readers out there what's going on? Um, you can see it here in the U.S. We're trying to reach our audience there. And um, ever since ICT you know was rebirthed in. Uh, 2018, um, Canada has been 8% of our readership. I mean, it's always been the second country um, reading um, our content. So it's a small market there uh, for ICT, about eight, less than 10% uh, of your readers. Yeah, but, but I mean, it might seem like a small market, but it's a huge market for us on social media. I mean, okay. that's why I thought we needed to invest in it. I mean, there's so, and, and there's a lot of parallels that are happening that we saw and which is why for IJA is why we decided to have a lot of panels with very similar issues because we wanted to show people that, you know, the climate crisis, you know, we're having very similar parallels. The missing and murdered indigenous relatives, there are similar things happening. So we wanted it to, you know, journalists from both sides of the medicine line to see what's going on and learn from each other in that way. And some of it that comes from social media. 
And you folks just wrapped up your annual conference. It was in Winnipeg this year. So you're definitely really engaged there, even physically as well. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, we, we definitely are. I mean, and the reason why, I mean, we just changed our name and we did it because, you know, it came from our membership, but also we're expanding globally. And so this falls right over alleyway. And a lot of us were very disappointed, you know, in Meta for blocking, you know, the news to audiences and even us who are visiting there. And it, in fact, very much is censorship, you know, and it really concerns us when it comes to crisis communication you know, with uh, the climate crisis um, getting worse and also um, Facebook and, and Instagram are, you know, huge avenues for communicating missing and murdered Indigenous relatives. I mean, you see flyers being shared there. And also for Indigenous people, you see movements being created on social media. I mean, that's how Standing Rock happened. It was all right. coordinated through Facebook. Right, right. Jordan, let's talk more about the compensation issue and, and it's really easy to to blame these big social media giants uh you know they're definitely targets uh of a lot of ire uh, all across the world with the amount of money that these corporations generate and the their increasing power just in every aspect of, of our lives but but what's your sense there um at ict i mean do you think they're harming your business by by carrying content without any kind of compensation for ict I mean, with my ICT hat on, I mean, it would be great to have compensation, you know. I mean, it's really hard for us, um, you know, to, uh, real, to to find funders. I mean, it's already hard enough to find development directors who know how to fundraise for us. And that market or that group of people who know how to fundraise very well, it's a very small group. And there's so many, you know, national and um, native nonprofits who are trying to find and struggling to find a development director. So extra funding, I think, will help a lot of us I mean, in that way, including us. I mean, the money could be used for us to build a social media team so we can reach our audiences now. Because now, with, you know, this online act, and if it, again, if it gets enacted in California, states could follow. It's going to really affect how creative we should be. And that takes time away from our editors. It takes time away from reporters which takes time away from the stories they actually need to be out reporting. You know, I would rather have them being out in the field reporting than doing social media. It's, it's like, a, it's like we have to prioritize and figure out what's, you know, important to us. And that's really hard because not many people, you know, still know about ICT. Not a lot of people know about our branding that we were in a country today. We were, you know, in a country today media network. Um, so, it's like a catch-22 all around. Yeah, it really is. And uh, like all industries, uh, journalism has had to, to pivot and, and bring in this whole social media component. And I think here at uh, NAC, we're in the same boat as you folks at ICT, Jordan, and that, you know, we're just working really hard just to get a show every day and to do the, the journalism side. And then we've got all this social media stuff that we've got to handle, too. And, and it's tough to, to balance that and, and bring it in. And, of course, this next shoe to drop could be in California if they follow through with this bill to require compensation and, and meta perhaps blocks content. I mean, do you expect a big drop off? And how big a, a blow would that be to ICT's business if California follows through with this bill? I mean, I was trying to think about that. It's kind of hard to see that far in the future. I mean, I know, um, I don't know about how it would affect TV that much, maybe. Um, but I mean, if you think about it in terms, California has, what, 109 
tribes and there's, you know, tons of native people there with Los Angeles being down south. Um, the huge urban area, one of the places where a lot of native folks relocated with the urban um, relocation programs. Um, I mean, it's just, it's going to be difficult. I mean, I was looking at our tribal media map uh, from IJA to see where a lot of, um, you know, a lot of entities are located. And there's, there's several of them. Um, but I think it's just going to probably cause us to be more collaborative in that way. I mean, we were already collaborating with APTN up in Canada, and we were wanting to start with, um, collaborate more with Indigenous News. So I think it's just going to have to cause us to think more creatively um, and consider time and our resources in that too. And Jordan, going back to this issue in Canada and the Online News Act, I mean, how do you see that playing out? Do you think that that Canada is going to have the leverage to to rally against these huge, huge, giant, giant corporations like Meta and Google? Can they win that fight? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's possible. You know, I think it's possible. I mean, we're very much social creatures, and we, um, I mean, strength is in numbers. I think the more people speak up, especially from underrepresented communities, um, I mean, it, it just goes to show that big tech just, like, doesn't understand underrepresented communities in specific, and, and indigenous communities, right? Like, a lot of us rely on that for who knows what reason. You know, we want to know what's going on in our communities because we're traveling everywhere. And Facebook is the place where everyone is. Instagram, not so much, you know, the younger audience. But Facebook, no matter what your age, um, people are on there. So, I mean, I hope I hope they, you know, reconsider. But I think the question is what he was, um, the previous guest was saying earlier, is, is what does that compensation package look like is going to be um, an interesting question. All right. Well, let's bring back Alex back into the conversation now. Alex Friedman, he is with uh, Community Radio Fund of Canada. And Alex, how do you see this this playing out going forward, uh, the Online News Act? Do you think it's going to stick or do you think uh, these social media giants are just going to flex their muscles and, and just kind of get their way in the end? Well, I'd like to say I think it, uh, that we'd be able to have some impact on this. Um, we, we know, as you mentioned, that this began in Australia. Uh, they did a similar ban in Australia for a few days. Then they renegotiated a portion of the legislation and Facebook backed down. But I think what, where we're at right now is uh, there's a reality that it's not just California. It's also the European Union that's considering a piece of legislation like this. And it won't surprise me if this becomes kind of a global wave. Um, and you have now Facebook standing up and saying, hey, we're not going to do this here. Canada is kind of the line in the sand. But I think for Facebook, Meta, for Google, this is a much, much, much bigger conversation. Um, there's a global picture for them to be aware of. And so I do believe that you know, little old Canada up here is stuck in, in the middle of what is a much, much bigger conversation. I, mm -hmm. I maintain optimism that there will be a change, that they will change their policy, um, but I have deep concerns. Alex, it really seems like what this is going to come down to is just that simple question of who needs who more, right? I mean, do do the, the media outlets and specifically these smaller community-based news outlets, do they need these social media outlets to help them disseminate their content? Or, or is it the other way around in Google and Meta and these other big social media giants? You know, do they really need 
Uh, are they more dependent on the on these news media outlets uh, to provide them with all this content? I mean, what's your thought on that? Who needs who more? Uh, I, I, I do believe that we need them more, um, if I'm to be perfectly honest with you. Um, we don't have access to their data. Um, I can tell you through our Google Analytics and through our various different uh, ways of measuring this that you know there there is a huge amount of content that's shared from our news providers. Um, but if you put that in the ocean of content that is shared on social media platforms uh, with influencers and all this sort of business going on, um, they have said very publicly that that it's it's a very minor piece of their business. And I think what they're trying to do right now is to prove it. I don't have their data. I don't know what goes on internally for them. I don't know how this will impact what's going on with them. But my sense is, uh, unfortunately, that, yeah, that the, the equation is, is, is not very much in our favor. Thanks, Alex. And Jordan, back to you. Anything else you'd like to add to this conversation at this point or any more insights to offer? Um, I mean, I agree with Alex when he said that we need um, them more because I was, I was even thinking, like, how did we, how did news before, without, before social media happen, how did they get the word out? How did they communicate? newspapers, magazines, but once the digital era hit and, you know, internet kind of took off, it was, social media just changed the game, you know, and it changed the way we communicated as human beings and with our own um, communities. It just, it's, and it's just interesting how this is happening as, you know, ICT were expanding, expanding globally or covering more globally and, you know, partnering with folks who are covering um, global indigenous issues. And as IJA just expanded globally, it, it's just interesting to see how it's all coming. Um, it's very interesting timing overall. Um, so it's just, I, I'm kind of concerned about it for ICT and IJA too, and other yep. uh, indigenous entities. Absolutely. Yeah. Just the, just such an enormous impact here. And like you said, it's just such an interesting time to be alive right now. And it's just this classic story of, of technology and disruption and, and how it just changes businesses and, and lifestyles and everything else. And anybody listening right now to our show, if you've got uh, any insights to offer with regard to social media and in news content, we'd sure like to hear them. And our phone lines are open. Our producers are standing by. So go ahead and give us a call. You know the number, but I'm going to tell you again anyways. 1-800-996-2848 or just 1-800-99-NATIVE. We'd sure like to get some participation. Or if you don't feel like calling, just go ahead and hit us up on social media. There we go. You can use our Facebook page or our Instagram and uh, connect with us that way as well. Uh, and maybe at some point, Facebook will compensate us for that. Who knows? So anyway, let's go ahead and bring in our third guest into the conversation, Mike Rispoli, and he is Senior Director at Free Press. And Mike, uh, again, thanks for joining us. And, and tell us more about the journalism preservation bill in California that we've been talking about. How is it similar to this Online News Act up there in Canada? Sure. Thanks, Sean. And again, thanks for having me. Um... So the California Journalism Preservation Act is actually very closely modeled to a federal bill that was introduced um, recently called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. Uh, and it's also very similar in some ways to the bill in Canada or to the, um, to the act in Canada as well as Australia. There are some key differences though with this California bill. Um, overall, what these bills are trying to do, as we've heard, is um, 
is to take a portion of whatever sort of money that platforms might be making off of um, or uh, of having these links on their platforms and then paying for uh, paying news publishers uh, a percentage of that. Uh, but with the California bill, the, the CJPA, uh, it proposes to take a percentage as determined by an arbitration process of large internet platforms advertising revenues and then distributing it to publishers as uh, a journalism usage fee. Um, one of the real challenges of this bill from our perspective at Free Press um, is that um, maybe unlike the, the bill in Canada or Australia, though I can't speak uh, too closely about those, but certainly the bill in California, kind of at its core, it's incentivizing the, um, the uh, types of content that we actually need less of on okay, platforms. Okay, okay. All right, um, Mike, our, do me a favor, Mike, hold that thought. Uh, we do have to take another short break, but when we come back, uh, I'm going to ask you, I mean, overall, is this uh, – journalism preservation bill in California. Is it going to be good or bad for local communities if it passes? So we're going to go ahead and dive into that topic after this short break. Support by AARP. If someone asks you to buy gift cards to pay off debt, it's a scam. Imposters will claim your social security number's at risk, or your utility company will stop service due to late payments, or you won the lottery and only need to pay some upfront costs. They'll say the fastest way is to buy gift cards and share the numbers on the back. Anyone who tells you to pay a debt with a gift card is a scammer. More information on gift card scams at aarp.org slash gift cards. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're focusing on news sharing today. Right now, Meta, which is Facebook's parent company, and Google are in a showdown with Canadian elected officials over what they say should be paid to have news shared on their platforms. Still time to join this conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Call us now. NAC producers are standing by. We've got Mike Rispoli on the line right now. He is Senior Director at Free Press. And, and Mike, as we were going into break, you were giving us a little bit more detail in terms of uh, how this uh, bill could play out there in California, the Journalism Preservation Bill. And tell us more. I mean, how, what is this really going to mean for local communities? I think that's a really big question. I think, I think it's really good that lawmakers – are looking at ways that public policy can help support local news uh, and uh, make sure that communities can get the news and information that they need. Um, and as well-intentioned as this bill may be in California, we have serious concerns that what this is ultimately going to mean is actually a more toxic news feed for California residents in the state when they go onto their social media platforms. And the reason why that is is that the CJPA incentivizes uh, news publishers to create clickbait, sensationalist content, and doesn't necessarily incentivize them to hire more reporters, do more investigative reporting, do more reporting on the news and information that people actually need. Okay. And so, and we also have concerns about the CJPA um, because we feel like this will disproportionately benefit um, some of the very corporations and hedge funds that have cut back on local news, that have laid off reporters, that have closed newsrooms. And while it's possible that 
um, bills like the CJPA could benefit small publishers, and that would certainly be needed. They they need more money to do the very important work that they're doing. Um, we also think that um, in this case, something is not better than nothing because we fear that bills like the CJPA will just really entrench the power of these large media companies that have already kind of pulled out of doing more local reporting and and might even lead to what we're seeing now, which is that platforms kind of just removing or downranking news content on their sites uh, because, like Jordan and Alex said, uh, it's the perspective of these platforms that news publishers need them more than they need the news publishers. The shame of it, though, um, is that this conversation has kind of, not this conversation today, but this kind of broader conversation about bills like the CJPA have kind of positioned news publishers versus platforms. And no one's really talking as much about what's the impact going to be on residents in California. And I think if you look at this bill, you can very clearly see that there's a lot of questions that no one's really answering and the, the potential for harm is very great. All right, Mike. And, uh, what really is interesting, too, to note is that uh, at the heart of this matter right now lies this crisis with regard to local and community reporting. And you wrote a really, really eye-opening blog about this, and we're going to talk more about that. But before we do that, I want to take a caller. We have Michael, who is listening on station KUYI online, and he's up in Oakland, California. Hello, Michael. Oh, hello. Uh Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, Mike, you sound great. Okay, hey, uh, yeah, first of all, props to uh, Native America Calling National Native News. It's, to be honest, I, I think you guys are actually providing real news, and, and uh, I'm a regular listener. So, uh, yeah, my question to the guests is, uh, it's, you know, it seems to me I need to listen in more detail and kind of study this up on this issue and probably re-listen to this podcast, but it seems to me as if, this will just give dominance to the to the big media companies who can actually afford the advertising and you know create even more of a of a monopoly or at least whatever that term is where a few you know few companies that can actually pay the advertising fees will get the most amount of uh, coverage and, and most amounts into the into people's feeds versus like the you know the smaller independent news organizations who are actually so so i and I, I wanted to get the guest's opinion on that okay michael thank you for calling in and also appreciate uh, the shout out there to all of us here at nac as you say real news real news for real people so we appreciate you michael up there in oakland california and mike i'm going to go ahead and let you respond to, to our caller michael because i think that's basically what you've been alluding to is uh Ultimately, this could just benefit these big media giants who've got the deep pockets to pay to put all this content out there, right? From our analysis, that definitely seems to be the case, and I think you're definitely seeing that um, that trend. I think in um, you know where this bill is being debated or implemented elsewhere. I mean, look, the reality of it is, is that if you're a large media company, you have more journalists, you have more reach, um, you can produce more articles. And if kind of at the core of this bill is that uh, the more that you produce and the more that it's shared, that you are eligible for more money, I think what you're going to wind up seeing is that that really just entrenches the power of these large media companies. And again, these are, you know, the Guinness of the world, uh, the Alden Global Capital, the hedge funds. 
they are contributing to the current local news crisis. <laughs> and we're going to go ahead and give them more money as opposed to rethinking our public policy approach and thinking about how can we support local community independent journalism, journalism that is actually serving the community and not just trying to create content for more eyeballs. I, I do think this is an important question to be asking policymakers because they, they should be taking action. It's a really important issue for them to look at. We do need strong and vibrant local independent news. But is this the right approach? We don't think so. Well, Mike, then what is a possible solution? Because like you've written about before, I mean, at the heart of the matter is that there are a lot less reporters covering local beats than there were a generation ago. I think that um, I think what was said at the top of uh, of the program is right. I think we are actually going to be starting to see many more states take up local news policy and maybe some of them looking at uh, similar bills to what's uh, being debated right now in California. Uh, but what we do know is that in the past five years, two pretty um, important media policy laws passed at the state level that I think show more promise than maybe the the bargaining approach that some of these more recent bills are taking. Number one is the New Jersey Civic Information Consortium. Uh, it's based in New Jersey. Uh, it's an independent nonprofit that receives some public funding from the state, but also raises private philanthropic dollars. And then they invest that through a grant making model to communities around the state who can submit proposals based on whatever their community's information needs are. So that, that way we can make sure that public dollars are actually going to solve that community's particular problem when it comes to accessing trusted news and information. And then in California last year, the legislature dedicated $25 million to create the California Local, uh, local Journalism Fellowship Program, which is placing journalists all around the state of California uh, especially in communities that are not well served by existing media outlets and giving many other young journalists an opportunity to, to, to work and to serve communities. And those like fellowships and public grant making programs, we think uh, are proving to be pretty successful. The last thing I would just say is I think that there is something to this idea of holding platforms accountable for the myth and disinformation they put out into the world. We think that it's reasonable to, to maybe take a, an approach where a part of the advertising revenues that these platforms get, you could put that into some sort of public endowment and then do grant making that way as well. Um, we think that there are lots of different policy approaches. Uh, and again, the ones that have been implemented at the state level, we think are actually proving to be more successful than what um, what the CJPA or the JCPA could ultimately produce. Thanks, Mike. And I want to give Alex a chance to respond to our caller in Oakland, California. And Alex, our caller suggested that ultimately this law, or this proposed law in California, could would just benefit you know these big media giants. And I just want to add, get your perspective because up there in Canada with the Online News Act. Is that, are you folks thinking this, the same thing, that it could ultimately uh, really benefit these big media giants, or are the players very different, and is the landscape very different there in Canada as opposed to down here in the States in this matter? Well, I think, number one, vis-a-vis -vis the ban, we're already seeing it. Uh, we've seen some of the major newspapers' uh, articles being carried with the sponsored 
banner on Facebook. So clearly they've paid for the advertisement space and Facebook has made it clear that they will keep those those channels open. So if you can afford to pay for national campaigns, uh, you know, apparently you're able to get your news out at the same time. So uh, we're seeing that uh, happening already up here and I would expect we'll see more of it. Um, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with some of what, you know, both callers have said, with Caller and both other guests have said, this this is a fight for for our local democracy, uh, and, and and that's not being too alarmist about this. Um, if local news, if local independent news producers are unable to get their word out in the same way as the as the larger, you know, much more well heeled commercial broadcasters are able to do so, uh, we're in a whole world of trouble. Um, and the importance of local news and information cannot be understated. Thanks, Alex. And, and Mike, back to you. Earlier, I posed this question, who needs who more? Do, do the media outlets need social media or do social media need the news outlets? And let's just say in this standoff here, what happens to, to big giants like Facebook and Instagram if they can't post news content? How big a blow is that to their business models? I think it's the right question to be asking. And look, like Free Press has been a very vocal critic of the platforms um, and big proponents of supporting local news. But I think like the callers, you know, the way that we see it and certainly from the data, the limited data that we can see that's been released, it appears as if the um, news publishers derive more value from existing on platforms than platforms derive value from uh, quality local news being on, um, on their sites. Um, I think it's right to ask, you know, some of this data has been released by the platforms. Um, you know, I think you, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt, but again, the, 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 the data is limited. But I do think that one of the real problems that is facing local news when it comes to distributing over platforms is that we know that these platforms and their algorithms reward not really good investigative journalism, not, you know, information about uh, local elections necessarily. We know that they... Uh, that these algorithms reward uh, clickbait and mis and disinformation. So um, it, it's concerning that the platforms are downranking or removing quality news from their platforms. But again, um, you know, bills like the CJPA, um, you know, might also lead to the increase of of, of toxic content. And so it's it's an incredibly tricky problem, especially for publishers who just want to reach their audience and they want to serve their community. And unfortunately the platforms, uh, while they have a large amount of reach, um, are not always necessarily the best tools to actually uh, serving a community. Well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, what you describe as toxic content here as, as we begin to, to wind down the show. And Jordan, I want to come back to you because uh, Earlier this year, ICT made a stand with regard to Twitter, and it was at least par partly based on the actions of, of Twitter's owner. And how do you see ICT um, handling this issue if uh, some of these proposals on revenue sharing take off? Do you think ICT could take a similar stand as with what you folks did with Twitter? Um, I have a, I, um, it's like we have to think about, you know, our readers and who, how we want to engage with them, what other ways we can engage with them, um, and also think about our resources. I mean, the big reason why we, well, the two reasons why we disengaged with Twitter was one, that they were attacking journalism in general and journalists and big news organizations, and then 
too, that like a lot of our data didn't come from Twitter. You know, we didn't we didn't get it was like less than I think it's like less than five percent. Even I feel like I'm being generous on that number. Um, so we really didn't get any benefit out of it. But Facebook, I mean, like I said earlier, we of all of our social media data, we probably get ninety percent from Facebook because you know everyone and their grandma is on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> that is true for sure. Well, Jordan, I mean, going forward, do you see any solutions or any ways that, that native media can have more leverage and, and have more of a say so so we're not so beholden to these huge corporate interests? Um, I think one, I mean, with my IJA hat on, I think one of them is just speaking up and, you know, saying something to medics, I think a large part of these conversations, you know, are happening without indigenous media outlets. Um, and a lot of our, you know, memberships um, out there, I mean, it could impact them, but we, they need to say something. Um, and also we're planning on, you know, releasing um, uh, like a, a letter to Meta also about this, expressing our concerns and also um, talking with our membership too. Um, for ICTME, we're still talking about it internally, so it's a little too early to say, but we're, we're concerned about it. Thanks, Jordan. And, and Mike, I'm going to go back to you for the last word because, uh, again, there's just so many working parts here to this issue, and some of it is to do with changing consumer habits. Like Jordan mentions, you know, everybody in your grandma's on Facebook and also media consolidation. So we've got about a minute before we have to wrap up, but you kind of put this all together in, in perspective for us, for our listeners, so we can understand kind of the big picture here. Sure. I think, I think what, what's going on right now and, and, and why we're paying so much attention to this is that um, we are, we're living in this age of kind of, you know, media disruption. And uh, you can kind of look back to the history of, uh, of media, at least in the United States and kind of see that, you know, with each kind of, new way that people can access and distribute information it kind of causes this slight disruption in the market the internet was a huge disruption um and kind of that leading to local news kind of changing slash kind of disappearing especially local commercial newspapers combined with this kind of explosion of myth and disinformation as well as like you mentioned uh, media being very concentrated amongst uh, very few companies um, this is this is all very much a conversation about do does the public have the news and information it needs to meaningfully participate in democracy and to participate in their community to find out what's happening at their local schools and to find out what's happening in the halls of government. Um, there's a lot of various factors that kind of contributed to the moment we're in, but we also have seen a great response from a lot of innovators and dedicated people who are also really trying to build up much more right. community-rooted media. All right. Thanks, Mike. We are out of time, unfortunately. But folks, thank you all for joining us. A really enlightening conversation on social media and compensation. Please join us here on NAC again tomorrow. We're going to talk about California again and uh, water regulations. Same place, same time here on Native America Calling. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. SBA wants to see you win. They want to see you grow. They have been so helpful and so resourceful. Thanks to the SBA, my business is thriving today. Make sure you get in touch with SBA and you will definitely be on your way to a winning path. 
For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. Did you know that bare space is best when it comes to your baby's sleep? That's right. When you keep their crib free from toys, pillows, blankets, and other loose objects, you can drastically reduce the risk of suffocation. All your little one needs is to be placed on their back atop a tightly fitted sheet to ensure a safer night's rest. More infant sleep safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.